Well, we're completely off the rails right now. If you're new today, we have done everything we don't normally do in an order we don't normally do it. But I'm, I'm, I'm in it. I'm, I'm in for it. And uh, I'm excited for what God is doing. And I'll be, I'll, I'll preach shorter um, and, and better if you just say amen sometimes. Some of you are like, we have some river rats in here that aren't saying nothing. You're here for the whole day service. God bless you. Call you the spiritual river rats. Um, but I'm glad you're here either way, whether you're atheist or whether you're hungry for God. Uh, I want to share a quick, again, it was supposed to be a little longer. If you want to listen to the podcast, I'll share the whole message on there. I'll give you the highlight reel um, in this one. Go to Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read a few verses today. This is about a revival. Incidentally, here's kind of my big idea today, is I think that when a revival stops being about other people, it ends. Synopsis. God will revive a region, revive a people, revive a pastor, revive a church, revive a person. But when that revival, that personal awakening, only becomes about you and God, somewhere along the way, that fire will burn out. God will always get a hold of you, revive you, to do something in others. You guys ready to go? Acts chapter 8, there's persecution. There's people singing satanic songs at the VMAs. There's colleges that are promoting everything but Jesus. There's political unrest. There's racism that's pretty blatant going on. This is Acts chapter 8. High levels of persecution. Christians being arrested, murdered, and uh, persecuted for their faith. It gets so heated in Orange County, no, in Jerusalem. It gets so heated in Jerusalem that everybody except the lead pastors, the apostles, are sent out. One of the young evangelists was named Philip. And we pick up reading about this guy, Philip, in chapter 4. And it says, after the persecution of the church in that city, they were scattered. They went everywhere preaching the word. Preaching the what? Philip went down to the city of Samaria. What city? Almost, almost reading short today, stay with me. And preached Christ, preached Christ to them. The multitudes with one accord, last service got the good joke, one civic. You got the leftover joke there. Heeded the thing spoken by Philip. Hearing and seeing, hearing and seeing, hearing and seeing. Psalms Psalms 34 verse 8 says, taste and see that the Lord is. Do you know why we taste and why we see? Taste is about experience. Seeing is about perception. If you have a relationship with God that doesn't affect those both areas, I would say you're missing out on what Jesus died to give you. Jesus died to have an experience with you, but he also died to give you a new perception in life. What they saw and what they heard, they actually saw miracles that Philip did. Unclean spirits cried out with a loud voice, came out of many who were possessed, and many, not some, but what? Many that were paralyzed, lame, were healed. Who believes that God can do it again? And there was great joy in that city. When people are giving their hearts to Jesus and getting healed, there's joy. But notice that the early church thought there was still something missing. So verse 14, when the apostles heard in Jerusalem, heard what happened in Samaria, they received the word of God. They sent Peter and John to them. Why? Who, when they came down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For at that time, in Orange County, they only heard about 
right, in, in, in Jerusalem, that in Samaria, they'd only heard about water baptism and the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 17, for they laid hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. I want to pray real quick. Title of this quick message today is Playing in the Streets. Playing in the Streets. I want to talk to anybody that feels like you have maybe a good life, but you're a little bit bored spiritually. Maybe you've been a Christian for 40 years. You feel a little bit stagnant. Maybe you feel like, I don't know, this service was too long today. We should have sang that long. We should probably get out of here too pretty soon. I would say that you're more passionate about the commercials at a Super Bowl than you are about experiencing your creator. This message is for you today. It's for those that are burning for God, but you want to burn with a greater fire. It's for anybody that watched Jesus Revolution and said, I want more of that in my lifetime. This is your message. You guys ready to go? Say, playing in the streets. Lord, we love you. Meet us here today, as you already have. Finish what you started. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. A amen. Quickly, I uh, would like to reiterate that I am a millennial. I was born in 1983. Any 80s babies in the house? I find my category, my demographic, my generation, a kind of an interesting generation because we're old enough to remember before technology, and we're young enough to still, some of us understand video games. We got video games, but not games that were so good that we forgot to live. We had Nintendo, Duck Hunt. You play for about an hour and you're bored. Nowadays, you can live online, but I, I live in an era that I remember life before the internet. I remember, I'm, come on, I'm old enough to remember black and white televisions. Not because they were still around, but because we were poor. Okay? I remember uh, rotary telephones. If you want to have a good laugh, look up a, look up a Gen Z or trying to use one of those. No idea. I live in a dangerous era of history. It's almost like the merging of two worlds, the old and the young, the te technological and the non-tech. We were raised in this really dangerous window, a window that you didn't have caller ID. It was like rolling the dice every time you picked up the phone. You could be stuck to a call that you didn't want to be on. It was dangerous. We, we, had, we had metal slides. You get third-degree burns in August. I was raised in an era that we used to hang monkey bars 30 feet above asphalt. It was the original population control. Tough joke. I, was, I remember, it was just dangerous. It was a different era in history. I remember that when I was growing up, you actually had to be good at sports to get a trophy. It was a different... It was a different window. It's dangerous. We used to play outside. Come on, Marshall. Marshall had my back. He was clapping. We used to know the other kids in the neighborhood. Knock on a stranger's door. I followed my best friend home before I knew him. I knocked on his door. I did not know his name. This is a true story. Thankfully, he was eating dinner, and his mom answered the door, and I said, can he play? It's raised in a different era. It was dangerous. I would say 
that if you have never played in the street and had to yell, car, your childhood was too safe. Didn't, didn't play on these playground sets that had recycled tires. Remember doing PE and like burning the soles of my vans. It was just asphalt. And the Antelope Valley, 100 and hell degrees. You had to hide your dogs. They'd die outside. It was so hot. People went to hell to cool off. You know what I'm saying? Like just. I, I, I was raised in a different window. But here's my thought is that it, was, it wasn't boring. It wasn't boring playing in the streets. We play, we play hockey without skates or ice. Just running around with a stick. Wasn't even a hockey stick. We play soccer. Where's my kickball people at? Kickball. I remember breaking the window of my mom's kitchen window with a baseball. It was a foul ball. I remember growing up in an era that literally you would come home with road rash on your arms from crashing on your bike, which was an indicator that you were alive. We have so childproof society. I'm afraid, I think in some ways we have so domesticated even Christianity that people are bored to death because we have lost the adrenaline of risking. We've lost the high of feeling like we are walking with Jesus on the water. People say, Mark, what's it felt like the last four years to watch eight people move from Idaho and to see God do this great revival in your church? I'm like, it's exciting. It's exhilarating. I've had moments that I'm scared to death. I've had moments that I'm shouting, crying, laughing. It has been one of the most awakening moments of my whole life. And I find that as a pastor, my greatest burden is for some of you that sit in church every week, but you're bored to death with your walk with God. Somewhere along the way, you started playing the highlight reels of yesterday's faith. It's crazy. You used to have fire on the altar, but now the altar's just been put out. It's like the church life you used to thrive in has turned into this museum life. And it's like we're celebrating the relics and the art, uh, these like archives of ancient encounters with God. And I was praying this week, and I just feel like many of you are like, Mark, look, I go to church, and it's all right, and I don't mind it. But I'll be honest, it's not the highlight of my life. I feel like meeting with God, it's, it's, it's in my life, but it's not like, like, I don't remember the last time I had an adrenaline rush with Jesus. Is that what we're talking about today? I want to tell you that you can be a millionaire, a billionaire. You can be married to a model. You can have your dream house, dream car. You can own what you wanted when you dreamed about things when you were a kid. And wake up and be empty on the inside. And I felt like the Lord gave me this picture of playing in the streets. Because when you were playing in the streets as a kid, you weren't just trying to win the game. You were trying to stay alive. You remember that? Remember that one time that no one yelled car and you almost got hit by the car? I had one time I rode my bike down the driveway into the car. We were racing from the driveway. We were just trying to, I don't know, we were, we were trying to play as recklessly as we could. And I were going in the car and this El Camino was blazing down the street, Lancaster, California. 
and he was like hot rotting down the street. I should have heard him, but I was a, just a, a, a dumb kid. And I went down the driveway into the street, and he had to lock his brakes up. I felt like Macaulay Culkin. I was like, ah! This car skidded like 40 feet and bumped my leg. Just remember that right now. Lord, I want to say thank you for that moment. Wouldn't be here today. Also want to thank you for my fingers. Can always count on them. Listen, I want to say... Some people, God just gave me this download, revival stops when Christians get bored. Revival stops when Christians get bored. Or they get lazy. We've all been there. Or we get apathetic. Who's ever had a day that you didn't want to read your Bible? Raise your hand. I'm going to do an altar call for lying right now. We've all had a day I didn't feel like praying, didn't feel like reading my Bible, Who's ever had the moment that God said to do something that you didn't want to do, and you argued with him? Raise your hand, or we'll do another altar call for lying at the end. Two altar call liars. This first lying altar call is for you now. Why? Because everyone has been there before that we feel like we know more than we practice. I would say in our day and age, we don't need more revelation, illumination, which I'm grateful for. I would even go on the record to say most of you don't need more teaching. You don't need more sermons. I would say most of you today know more about Jesus than most pastors for the last 1,700 years knew. You're learning some of the greatest resources, greatest minds. We have more books, more information than anybody that's ever lived. They say now with technology, a human being can learn more in 30 days than people that lived for their entire lifetime could learn over 60 years ago. We have more knowledge, but we have less passion. And I'll tell you why. Passion always goes out when we know more than we practice. This is good preaching today. I'll say amen to myself. Preach, preacher. And I'm not throwing rocks at you because I'm, I'm in the same boat. I'm preaching to myself today. This message is for me. I felt God challenged me. My wife and I were on a trip. We were in a parking garage, and God showed me this guy. And he said, Mark, I want you to get back to that evangelism that made you who you are. And I felt it. Rochelle and I, man, she, Rochelle's so good at this. And I felt like there was a moment in my life, there were seasons in my life when I was younger, that I would lead someone to the Lord every week. I had, I had probably, I don't know, maybe 18 months that every week I was leading somebody to Jesus. That was my faith level. Every week, we're praying the sinner's prayer with somebody. I remember one time driving, before we moved to Idaho, or before we moved to California, I was driving by a grocery store by myself, and I saw the homeless guy, and God said, go, and he gave me a clear message for him. And I went to this guy, I I said, hey, my name is Mark. He was drunk. He was high as a kite. And I remember talking to this guy, and I asked him what his story was, and he used to be a manager of a plant in Twin Falls, Idaho, or Pocatello, Idaho. And he used to have a beautiful wife and a beautiful family. And his wife died. He lost his faith. He became an alcoholic. He lost his kids. No one had heard from him, he said, in like eight years. They didn't know if he was still alive, he said. He's living in Nampa, Idaho at a Fred Meyer parking lot. And I'll never forget driving into that parking lot, talking to this guy. And I said, do you want God to restore your life? And this drunk guy goes, yeah. I said, let's pray right now. 
and I remember grabbing this guy's hand and I remember praying with him in a parking lot and as God is my witness this guy went from drunk as cannot walk or talk to as sober as sober gets in about a 60 second prayer he becomes sober I said are you ready to get back in touch with your family he said I think so I gave him my cell phone we called his child that he hadn't talked to in eight years they ended up driving from Twin Falls that day, picked up their father, they hadn't seen in eight years. And that's the last I know of his story. Kind of fun, right? We'll hear the rest of the saga in heaven. Here's my short message to get you out of here. I believe our faith gets dormant when number one, we stop sharing. I think most of us, we know more than we think we know. Some of you are scared to share with anybody your faith because you don't think you know enough. I talked to some of our college students. They said they, they found the most educated Muslim guy they've ever met in the world. And they tried to share their faith with him. And this guy was the smartest Muslim. They said he knew the scriptures better than we did. They're like, we had to go back to class and study more because he like kind of beat us up academically. It's like this guy was a genius. But I told these guys, I said, you know what they can never argue with you? Is your story. I don't care how smart someone is. If you knew Mark Francie pre-Jesus, you would know that blind people don't see like that. Lame people don't walk like that. Screwed up people don't live like that. And I would tell you that right now before God, the greatest thing you can do is you see a good movie, what do you do? You share it. You find a good recipe? Come on, somebody. Share it. You go buy it. Find somebody that bakes it. You find, you find, you find a, a, a car you love, a place you visit. There's a place in Maui my wife and I went to on our honeymoon. It's called the gazebo. Write it down if you're a foodie. It's, uh, it's in this little hole-in-the-wall area. You have to walk through kind of a janky hotel to get to it. The waiting line is always there. It's like an hour wait always. And you're waiting by this dilapidated swimming pool, but it's beautiful. And you get in this little hut. It's a hut. And they have white chocolate chip macadamia nut pancakes. But heaven's like, that's good. I've told people about it. I told a couple thousand people today about it. Business is going to spike in the days to come. You're welcome. But you know why I shared it? Because, because it means something to me. And here's the lie of hell. Is that you can share about your favorite car, your favorite movie, TV show. You can share. Man, favorite song? Share it. Favorite thing to do? Share it. Favorite hobby? Share it. Social media? Share it. Narcissistic tendencies? Share it. Talking to yourself on the camera all day? Share it. But the moment someone says, you know, when it comes to like what you believe about God and what you encounter in that relationship, shut up. And what they say, I don't, I don't want to discourage you with the statistics. But there's a scary statistic that says 90% of your sharing will take place in the first 18 months of your walk with God. Kind of a discouraging stat. But they didn't survey Oceans Church. That's somebody else. That's somebody else's problem. As far as I'm concerned, our faith will stay healthy if we keep sharing. You know, I wanna, I'm really proud of Daniel. Where's Daniel at? My friend Daniel. He's a man of God. Is Daniel in here somewhere? Daniel will go to Salt Creek Beach. He'll just open air preach. We have probably four college students today 
that gave their lives to Jesus as he was just sharing at a beach. Came to a Bible study. He told them, you got to get involved in a church. Came to our church. Did our college. It's wild what will happen when you share. I've never seen a miracle before because you've never shared. You know who God shows off with? Showers. I think that we got to go from sharing to number two, showing. And I'll be honest, some of you don't share because you don't think you know enough, but you know enough to tell people what God has done in your life. I was a nobody from the high desert of California. I was an amateur pro snowboarder. I had, a, I had a pretty dark past, made a lot of bad decisions, got involved with drugs, girls, you name it, high school. And when I got radically, uh, I had an encounter with Jesus. I was 18. I moved to Idaho. My youth pastor, Rochelle's brother, he, he mentored me. And I didn't know the Bible. I'm reading the lyrics to Chris Tomlin songs, okay? I'm not a Christian. That's a bad joke. I'm reading, I'm like, I'm reading the lyrics to like, how great thou art. Like, I didn't know any song at all. I didn't know hardly any Bible stories. And I remember he said the first probably couple weeks I was in our Bible college, he said, you're going to go to a junior high school and you're going to speak at a campus club. I said, dude, I don't even know the Bible yet. He said, do you know what Jesus did in your life? I, like, I know that. He's like, tell him that part. So I shared that in a bunch of heresy. It's junior high kids that are still untwisting from what they learned from me. But they got my testimony. You know what's crazy? Is some of you today, you've never had that feeling of feeling alive. How many, come on, I'm not trying to embarrass you. How many would say, this is a good thing actually, wouldn't embarrass you. How many have ever opened your mouth for God? And as you did, you started saying things that you're like, I didn't know that. That's the first time my brain's ever heard that. This has got to be God. And it touched that person so dramatically, you're like, this was the best day ever. God, thank you for letting me be a part of loving that person. Thanks for telling me that stuff because I had no idea. The Bible says that when you don't know what to say, the Holy Spirit will give you the words. So here's my, here's my challenge. Revival stops when we know more than we practice. Revival stops when we actually, when we actually are more, when we're more passionate about stuff and things. Let me just even say this way. You know revival can stop? When you fall more in love with long worship services, long prayer meetings, falling, crying, laughing, all those great things that God does in revival. Let me say this to you, though. If you fall in love with the fruit of revival more than the person. So if we're saying anything, I'm saying I love miracles, signs, wonders. I love, I mean, for all of it. Sign me up. I want everything that Jesus died to give me. But make no mistake about it. I will never go after what's in God's hand more than what's in God's heart. If you get Jesus, you get everything that grows on his tree. But if you go after what grows on God's tree and you neglect Jesus, that's where we have this epidemic of people that are more gifted than they are godly. Gifts are free. Maturity is expensive. And there are some people that prophesy like an eagle. They, they, they have crystal clear vision. There's people that do signs, wonders, and miracles. Some of the people that led my, my, my ancestors to the Lord, William Branham being one of them. William Branham had one of the most powerful prophetic gifts and miracle gifts of his generation.
He was up there with A.A. Allen, John G. Lake, Smith Wigglesworth. But a lot of that generation realized that the devotion that accessed the gifts of the Spirit could actually be avoided. And I can step into the power of God without spending time with the person of God. And whenever you honor the gifts of the Spirit more than the person of the Spirit, you can become very dynamic, spiritually carnal people. And our generation is skeptical of the gifts because we see ministers that have the anointing but not the character of God. And that's why my prayer is, Lord, give me, give me character that's greater than any gifts you give me. That's a great prayer to pray. Amen. How many give me five more minutes? Is that all right? Five more minutes? Five, 10, 15. All right, that's all I need. Come up on the keys. I'm almost done. I'm just kidding. We're almost done. I felt like the Lord says that God will revive. There's this excitement, almost like playing in the streets. I love John Wimber. John Wimber is a legend of Orange County. He's up there with Chuck Smith. Wimber had this phrase, everybody gets to play. And you know when church is exciting? When you don't show up just thinking that the only person that can slam dunk is your pastor, LeBron James. Okay? Look, I, come on, I mean, it's cool. <laughs> I wish I could dunk still. I could back in the day. Listen, but you know when church is exciting? Is when you realize, no, no, it's not just the pastors that know how to dunk on the devil. Like, like our small group leaders dunk on the devil. Like our college students, they know how to dunk on the devil. I saw like a single mom in our church cross the devil over last week. This what like our whole church is playing. You know what Jesus said? He didn't say go into all the world and make converts. He didn't say go into all the world and make people that make decisions. I'm all about a decision. Because I believe that discipleship will never begin until a decision is made. But make no mistake about it. How many have gotten saved or rededicated your life to Jesus in this church? Raise your hand real high. Real high, real high, real high. Awesome. Look around. That's a lot of people. I would say about 25%, maybe 20% of the church. Okay, put your hands down. Listen, you started with a decision, but the decision has to lead to becoming like Jesus. That's called discipleship. And listen, as we get ready to wrap this up, I want you to catch this today. Almost finished. I think that something is revived when we say, God, I'll just be willing when you prompt me to share. Philip went in and he just shared what he saw. And when he shared who he saw, and he shared Jesus, it's crazy that God will go with you when you go. It's crazy that God will do with you when you step out to do something. Reinhard Bonnke used to always say, God goes with goers and he does with doers. I'm telling you, the Bible doesn't say well thought, good and faithful servant, well theorized, well philosophized, well, well theorized. No, Jesus honors the practitioner. Well done. I believe that faith starts with a belief, but real faith will lead you into action. Listen to me very quickly, three things. How do we, how do we, how do we stay red hot? Well, here's the deal. Ask God, I'm doing the starting this, I'm, I'm, I'm even starting this week, is ask God, Lord, I want to have an opportunity to share at least once a week. I want to be able to share. Yesterday I sold a dog kennel. We didn't need it anymore. And uh, the dog moved into our house, took over. Um, 
but it was outside. It was an outside dog cage, and I'm working for him now. Um, it's another story. I sold this dog cage outside, and the people came over, and they said, this, the couple, they, they drove up from, uh, from Encinitas. They said, man, I love your house. It's beautiful. I said, it's a miracle house. So what do you mean? I said, I, I couldn't afford this house. That was way more expensive than I could afford. You knew what I made. This, this is out of my reach. They said, what happened? I said, God did a miracle for me. I said, my whole life is kind of full of miracles. I gave my life to Jesus when I was 18, and he's been kind of outdoing himself ever since. I was like, I couldn't afford this house. I said, honestly, a bunch of strangers. I had a lady, stranger, I never met her before. She gave my wife and I $75,000 and said, God told me to help you buy a house. I said, I'm a pastor. Pastors don't live in houses around here. I said, there was a guy in our church. He said, God told me and my wife that we're supposed to give you money for a house. He wrote us a $250,000 check. I could tell you a lot more stories. There was more. Just a couple, couple highlight reels. I told this guy, I said, this is a miracle house. I couldn't afford it. But God knew. We prayed. I said, but I did pray in this neighborhood. I prayed for the, the junky version of this house at the top of the hill. I wanted it so bad. And God let someone else buy it. And it was cool because I didn't buy the house that I had to fix up. We got to buy the house that my wife fell in love with. We prayed in that neighborhood for three years. I go on. People get bored when you stop engaging with God in real life on the streets. I want to share. So I got to share with this couple. They're blown away. And at the end of sharing my story of this miracle house, I said, where do you live at? They're like close to Carlsbad. I'm like, oh, my friends. They got a great church there. It's called Daybreak Church. Go check it out. Share. Watch the second one. Show. How do you show? This is what you do. You notice someone struggling? God will often help point somebody out. Something will catch your eye. That guy in the parking garage, I felt like God was like, give him all the money in your wallet, and you can tell him anything that, you, that, that I tell you to tell him. He'll listen. So it's funny what people will tolerate if you give them money first. I just gave him all the money in my wallet, and I said, hey, I follow Jesus, and he told me, I saw you in the parking lot, and he told me this about your story, and he told me that I'm supposed to pray for you. Is that okay? And with a bunch of money, he's like, yeah, that's, that's fine, yeah. <laughs> so I prayed for him, saw God do something powerful in his life. Orange County, listen to me. My prayer is, is that we don't get bored and have to tell stories from 30 years ago. Let it not be said of Orange County that we stop sharing what God's done in our life. Stop taking moments to pray. Listen to me. Here's the greatest way you can end a meeting. I did a memorial service for a guy in our church that passed away. His name was Jeff Garrett, great man of God. And he was a great CEO here in Orange County. He's from South Africa. And at his memorial service yesterday, the room was full of business colleagues. And his CFO got up and began to weep. And he said, I never knew you could actually be a Christian and a business leader at the same time. I never saw faith in business until I met Jeff. He said, Jeff came in, he said the first meeting, he's crying at his memorial service. He said, the first meeting I had with Jeff, we got to this lunch spot, we're small talking, and when the food came, he looked at me and he says, do you mind if I pray? He said, I've never seen a boss pray at a work meeting. 
And he said, from that moment on, Jeff showed me how to bring Jesus into my workplace. And there was a place full of, there, all of his colleagues were there. They said the same thing. Jeff was always sharing his love for Jesus and coffee. That's okay. Jehovah, come on, Joe. Jehovah Java. Listen, we share. And here's, here's what I want to challenge you. I end every meeting. This is a question. You ready for it? Write this down. It's good practical knowledge today. You share what God's done for you. Second thing you do is you say, how, when you finish a conversation, hey, how can I be praying for you? It usually catches people off guard. And here's what I found. About 80% of the time, they'll tell you something to pray for. And here's the good news. The 20% or 10% that you get shut down, are they even rude back to you? Blessed are you. When they persecute you, they revile you and say all kinds of evil things about you because you're my followers. We win either way. We either get to pray a prayer of encouragement or we get rejected because we're a follower of Jesus. But I'll tell you what, you will live outside of the boat and you'll stop being bored in your bedroom on your phone and you'll start getting back into the street where some action's at. And we're gonna show. How can I pray for you? Well, my wife just got diagnosed with cancer. I worked at it the other day at F45. Where's that? No, at the memorial service. I'm still sore from F45. I'm almost done rambling up here. At, at the memorial service, one of the guys in our church said, my mom's coming tomorrow. She just got diagnosed with cancer. Will you pray for her? And I got to do between services, I got to pray for her over here. You know what's cool? Is it's very simple to go, how can I be praying for you? I just got a doctor's report. My son's away from God. What's his name? His name's Sam. Can I pray for him right now? Usually they don't say no. Usually that's very kind of you. And here's the crazy part. If someone's sick and you pray for them, even if they don't get healed, do you know what happens? They feel the love of God. Well, I'm scared. What if they don't get healed? I'm scared. What if they don't get loved? I think love is what moves the wills of compassion for miracles. So last thing I want to say is this. One of it, this is for Orange County. This area loves the Bible. I would say, I, I didn't know this when I moved here. I didn't know that Orange County was kind of the Bible Belt, like of California. Like there's more God-fearing people. They might not be living for Jesus, but they at least, they want their kids to go to Christian schools. They showed up to church sometimes. There's kind of a deep level of belief in God. But here's what I learned about Orange County. This region has a love for the scriptures and honor for God. But it kind of reminded me of Samaria that they've tasted some of the power of Jesus' message, seen some of the miracles, experienced some of the joy. But here's what I noticed, is the early church leaders said, they're gonna miss something. We gotta send Peter and John so they can receive the Holy Spirit. Listen to me very clearly. I believe that everyone in this room has a birthright to have an encounter and to have a baptism of the third person of the Trinity who is the Holy Spirit. You believe in that weird stuff? You better believe it. And I would go on the record to say, if you think that speaking in tongues is crazy, but you think it's normal to snort cocaine, you think it's okay to see weird things on a trip with mushrooms, you're cool with smoking joints, and you're cool with getting so drunk that you throw up in a toilet all night, and you're judging me because I want all that Jesus died to give me, I would say check yourself before you wreck yourself. I want all that Jesus died to give us.
they said, look, they have the message of Jesus. They have joy. They have miracles. But you know what they're missing? They don't have the Holy Spirit yet. Peter, John, would you go? Would you lay hands on them? So they can get one-third of the Godhead. Experience them. Listen to me. My prayer for our church is we wouldn't settle for God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Scriptures. I'm not embarrassed. I'm not ashamed. Jesus saved my soul, but it was the Spirit of Jesus that gave me power to live like Jesus. Some of you are frustrated and you're bored because you're trying to do the works of God without the Spirit of God. It's impossible. Trying to quit porn. You can't, you can't break things in willpower. You need God's will, His power, His Spirit to be like His Son. Amen? So I'm done. I want you to stand to your feet. And I want to ask you a simple question today. How many say, Mark, I want to, I want to live and I want history to record that we stewarded the greatest awakening in American history, in the history of California. That's impossible, Mark. No, it's not. May 28th, Pirates Cove will have the largest water baptism that it's ever seen in history. Mark my words. It's not one church, it's the church. And it's going to ignite this region for a revival that California has never witnessed before. It's going to happen. Here's the question. Are you going to be a part of it? That's the question. Are you going to sit on the sidelines and judge it? It's always easier to criticize the move of God than to create one. But I have found the ones that get bored are the ones that aren't rowing. We're not going to be bored Christians. We're going to share. We're going to show. And we're going to honor the spirit of Jesus. If you believe it, come on. Give him a 10-second hand clap and a shout of praise. We prayed for salvation. We prayed for healing. Last thing I'm going to do today is if you're here and you say, Mark, I don't want to just be a convert. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. I want to share my faith. I want to play in his streets. I want to share not what's happening just on Sundays. I want to take Jesus into my business, into my classroom. Are you hearing me today? Into the courtroom, wherever you're going. We're taking it with us. Come on, if you want to share, lift your hands. You want to sh if you want to show, wave your hands. And if you want to receive the Holy Spirit, just put your hand on your heart right now. I pray in Jesus Christ's name. Actually, pray this prayer in the Oceans Church. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you today to fill me with your Holy Spirit. I ask you for a prayer language that hell could never understand. Give me a direct line to the throne room of God. Fill me with power boldness, courage to live like Jesus. I want to share, I want to show, and I want to love the Spirit of God. In Jesus' name, you receive it, say amen. Grab your neighbor's hand right now as we close. You guys ready? We're big family here at Oceans. Just the beginning of what God's going to do. Pray this prayer of faith over your neighbor. Say, Jesus, fill my neighbor with more of your spirit than they have ever had before. I ask you this week to give them opportunities to share the great things you've done in their life. Use them to reach the people you love. As they pray, do miracles. 
signs, wonders, baptize water and spirit as they share their faith. Lord, we love you and we're alive to live for you all the way. Revive California, revive Orange County, and do something now that this land has never seen before. In Jesus' name, if you believe in Oceans Church, shout amen. Give a good hand clap of praise. Sign up for our women's conference. Sign up for the premiere. Have an amazing week. This week, if you want to join our church, do our growth tracks. Come at 545 at this campus. I love you, Oceans Church. Have an awesome day.
Well, hey, I'm fired up. Who's fired up to be at church today? Anybody fired up? I don't know. I, I'm not going to assume that everybody is uh, keeping watch on the news and aware of what's happening right now as far as spiritually in, in the world. But uh, if maybe some of you haven't heard, uh, but about a couple weeks ago, there was kind of a sovereign outpouring at a university in Kentucky. Uh, it, was a, it was a chapel service at a college, a Methodist college that didn't end uh, for, I think, like 16, 17, 18 days. It went 24 hours a day. And from that, there was other people, about 50,000 people came into a town that has 3,000 and kind of gave the city a nervous breakdown. But people were meeting with God, and I know there's, people always have opinions about different outpourings. What I found historically in the church is uh, spiritual awakenings and revivals, they usually don't come the way that we expect them to come. And usually the people that judge them the most are the ones that have never been to one, never sat in the room. And uh, I don't know, I've been to a lot of great environments. I've had the privilege to speak all over the world. I've preached in Australia 16 times. I've been to Singapore, Malaysia, Africa, South America. I've been all over the world. And I'll tell you, I've been in some powerful meetings. I've actually experienced powerful camps. Whoever, who's ever been to a powerful summer camp? You know that one terrible kid that you're just praying for the, the last night of camp to come soon? This, this kid's either going to get arrested or he's going to encounter Jesus. And usually it's that last night of camp that softens the heart. And it's like those, those revival environments are almost like the last night of camp. People described the Asbury revival as the last night of camp that didn't stop. And um, I think that God is always available. Can I get an amen? His spirit is always present. But historically, there's been, there's been windows that God seems to create a thin space between heaven and earth. I believe we're, we're living in one of those such windows. And um, I don't know why. I was thinking about just uh, if I could give you kind of just a, a thought I had in my spirit before I, I share the message this morning. But I think it's actually in, it's in 1 Kings. I think it's chapter 2 of 1 Kings. There's a story uh, in 2 Kings chapter 2 that Elijah is taken up. Elisha, his, his mentee, is left behind. And he picks up his mantle. And it's crazy because everybody knew the revival that happened under Elijah. And they were so connected to the man that they disregarded the mantle. And if you look at the story, it's kind of interesting because they were so married to Elijah that when the mantle was passed on to Elisha, this is what they did. This is what some people will do in revival if you're not careful, is you will think that what they, what did they do? They sent people to go look for the body of Elijah. And I, I was just studying this morning and God just told me to kind of throw this at the top of the message today. But Elisha, in a fresh move of God, had arrived, but they wasted time looking for the old body of how it used to happen. And looking for the old, they missed out on the new. I love the Jesus people movement. I honor it. We're standing on the shoulders of it. But I want to encourage this region not to get so in love with nostalgia that we miss out on what God is going to do in our days. Can I get a good amen? Many ministries begin in power and they turn into museums and relics of past moves of God. Let it not be said of this church. Can I get an amen? And uh, we want our altars to continue to have fires and not turn into artifacts. We want people that have power and not to become powerless. And we don't want any of the gifts of the Spirit to get fossilized here. Amen? All right. Well, that's my little uh, pre-preach. Is that okay? 
Do you have your Bible today? You can grab it open. If you're brand new to Ocean's Church, I'm so glad you're here. I know every week people show up that maybe you're atheist, agnostic. Maybe you grew up Hindu, Buddhist, Muslim. Some of you grew up in maybe an LDS church, a uh, Latter-day Saint church, uh, a Jehovah Witness church. I know there's a lot of different backgrounds around here. And I'm so glad you chose to come to this church today. I believe that God will meet you right where you are. That's what's so cool about God. He's got the ultimate find your friends. He just knows exactly where you are. And today we're going to open up Acts chapter 8. I'm going to read a few verses. I'm going to talk about a a revival that swept a city, a a region. It's actually an unlikely region that experienced it. But I'm going to read this passage, but I want you to kind of catch this, uh, this big idea today. I think there's two groups. Uh, I'd say there's three groups uh, of people maybe represented here today. There's those of you that are on fire, walking with Jesus, you're in love with him, and you feel like you're living a life of purpose, of meaning, and you're really excited at what God is doing. The second group, you're around God, you have a heart for him, but you feel a little bit bored, you feel a little bit displaced, you even feel at times like, man... There's got to be more than what I'm currently experiencing. And there's a third group that you're kind of oblivious to maybe everything. And you're just like, you know, I'm just living a normal life. I'll pepper religion or God in, spirituality in, in the crevices of my life. And um, I just feel like today you're either burning, maybe you're not quite burning, or maybe you have no fire at all. And I wanted to just share this message with you this morning. And, uh, and my prayer would be is that by the end of this time together, Uh, that there would be a fresh fire. Is that all right? And that we would leave not just like existing, not just enduring, but enjoying God and enjoying the life that he's given us to live. Is that okay today? Can we welcome San Juan this this morning? We love you, San Juan. Joel says every time I say San Juan, the place goes crazy. So we love you. San Juan. All right, Acts chapter 8. You guys ready to go? I have a playful title with you today, but even though it's a playful title, I have a serious message I want to share. And I think that some people get bored. Some people lose their faith. Some, we have a generation deconstructing at times. God is reviving, but there's a lot of people that lost their way because of what I'm going to share today. And I think revival flames go out when we lose this key ingredient that I'm going to share with you. And so if you're taking notes this morning, my title for today's message is playing in the streets. Is that all right? Playing in the streets. If you are a millennial, I'm coming for you. I got some good stories for you today. If you're an 80s baby, I got some good stories for you today. If you have your Bible, uh, Acts chapter 8, verse verse 4. Uh, by the way, just before this, the first uh, three verses of Acts 8 is about a terrorist that was uh, terrorizing. That's what terrorists do. Just want to make sure you caught that. It's deep, preacher. Uh, it's okay to tell a couple jokes today. Is that all right? Why don't you guys go ahead and inform your face. It's okay to laugh. All right. Um, but we, uh, we read about a guy that's persecuting. There's crazy things happening. There's satanic worshiping happening on the VMAs. There's a world that's just propagating a bunch of fake news. There's news outlets propagating this and propagating that. There's so much, uh, so much sewage in, in the information going on in the world. So much persecution happening to Christians in the world. It's okay to be a, to be a this, to be a that, to be another. But you better not say 
you profess faith in this risen Savior named Jesus Christ. Very similar climate. A lot of persecution, even way more than we're experiencing in America today. But it's in, a, it's in this dark setting that the uh, church is forced. They didn't want to do this. It was actually the persecution of the world that forced the leaders of the church to go out. And so, apart from the apostles, everyone's sent out of Jerusalem. And there's this evangelist by the name of Philip. And it says, they were scattered everywhere. And everywhere that people went, all these leaders from the church, when they got scattered, they began to preach the word of God. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria. What city? Samaria. We talked last week about the catalyst of Samaria probably having seeds and fire embers in it from a woman at a well in John chapter 4. If you missed that, you can catch our podcast. But this is a little while after that happened. The Bible says that Philip goes down and preaches to Samaria, and he preached Christ to them. Who did he preach? So the disciples went out and preached the word, but Philip went down and he preached Christ to them. And the, mul- the multitudes with one civic, it's an accord, I'm just kidding, I'm just making sure you're paying attention still. The multitude with one accord heeded the things spoken by Philip. So they listened to what he said. Hearing and seeing. Say with me, hearing and seeing. The miracles which he did. Kind of reminds me of the psalmist that said, taste and see. It's interesting that, that what you see affects your perception, but what you taste affects your experience. Yes. And I believe that God wants to affect the way that you experience him yes. and the way that you perceive the world. Yes. C.S. Lewis said it best. He says, I believe in Jesus Christ as I believe in the Son. Not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else perception hearing and seeing the miracles which he did they saw unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice they they came out of many not some but many who were possessed and many how many 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 who were paralyzed and lame were healed and i love verse 8 and there was great joy there was great joy in that city Who wants to go to a city that has great joy? I think we already have the most beautiful geographical city in the world. But who would say, let's pepper in some joy, some spirit joy in that puppy. There was great joy in that city. Fast forward to verse 14. It talks about this sorcerer that's kind of crazy in the city. But verse 14, it says, When the apostles who were in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, and when they had come down, they prayed for them. Who they did, what did they do? They prayed for them. That they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet, he had not fallen upon any of them. And they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When they laid hands on those there, they received the Holy Spirit. I feel like... Orange County has a lot of people that have experienced the word of God, have heard Jesus preached, and have even been water baptized. And from those three things, you've experienced joy. But I want to point this out to you, and this is where I'm going today in my message, just a little spoiler alert, that if that was all there was, they never would have sent Peter and John to bring the Holy Spirit. 
You can have a life with Jesus in joy and still be missing out. Are you guys ready to go today? Playing in the streets. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. Meet us here. In Jesus' name, amen. Who likes short prayers? I'll invite that pastor to Thanksgiving. I was uh, born in 1983. Any 80s babies in the house? I feel like if you were born in the 80s, late 70s, you can relate with both generations. Because we kind of came at the precipice of the time period before the internet. I remember life before internets. I remember life before caller IDs. It used to be dangerous to answer the phone. It was like a box of chocolate for it, scum. You had no idea who was calling. I lived in this bridge between technology and no technology. I'm young enough to remember black and white televisions, not because they were still around, but because we were poor. I'm, I'm also young enough to remember uh, not having many channels. I remember when, I remember having rotary phones. My grandma had a rotary telephone. You wanna have fun? Look up Gen Zers trying to figure out how to use one of those things. I remember, I'm young enough to, to experience, uh, you know, things like playing outside. It was a thing. I remember cord telephones. I remember metal slides. Third degree burns in August. I lived in a dangerous window of time. It was before technology. It was back when we used to hang monkey bars 20 feet in the air, suspended over asphalt. We didn't care. It was the original population control. Okay? It's crazy. Literally wild window of time. Remember growing up, you actually have to be good at something to get a trophy when I was growing up. It was a different era. We didn't celebrate average. I know I'm offending people already. It's a dangerous time. We used to play in the streets. If you have never had to yell, car, your childhood was too safe. You didn't have a dangerous childhood. It was a double adrenaline. Because you were playing hockey or soccer, basketball or football, and you were dodging cars. It's a double win to win. I was thinking about this window of history. It was a dangerous time. There was an adrenaline. We used to go to people's house and knock on their doors and ask if our friends could come out and play. There was a window in time that you knew the other kids in the neighborhood. You would, you would rendezvous in the street. You would play until the street lights came on. And if you didn't come home, your mom would tattoo your butt with a belt. Come on, somebody. Also not politically correct. It's a different window. We had parents that said things like, I brought you into the world. You had that same parent? Tony raised you too? Different window of time. 
I think that we lived in a more dangerous window. Think that if you're not careful, you can childproof your kid's life so much that they don't know how to handle anything. Think that we're living in a window right now of people that have been so domesticated. We've taken the danger out of everything. And I was thinking about even Christianity that we've taken so much of what's risky out of our forefathers' faith that it's almost like we stop playing in the streets. We stop doing the things that caused the early church to explode. And I was thinking about this sovereign outpouring in the middle of America. I thought about the movie that just came out this week. That by the way, we better, come on church, you better go watch that thing. We are not going to be outdone by some cocaine bear. What world are we living in? You're either watching the Jesus Revolution or cocaine bear. If you would have told me that 20 years ago, I'd be like, no, that's a Saturday Night Live skit. I'm like, so were some of the videos about our president, too. That's, it's all there. It's all there. It's all there. Listen to me. We, we are living in a weird, crazy window in history. And I'll tell you right now, as a pastor, my greatest burden is to see believers that are bored. It bothers me. It hurts my heart to think, man, we have everything that the early church had access to. And we have a generation of businessmen and businesswomen, successful in school, successful in marriage, successful in finance, and yet bored in their spirit. And I thought, how in the world could this be? That we have everything that the Bible says pertains to life and to godliness. But we're almost like living around opportunity, but it seems like we're not capitalizing being in it. And we've almost domesticated the church. We've child-proofed our faith. It's almost like we're so scared of any type of wildfire that we put locks on every door, on every cabinet, on every drawer. And it's like, yeah, there's some things that get out of control sometimes when some of those doors are open and some of those drawers are open. But I would take a little bit of wildfire. Then no fire at all. Rather get a couple tattoos of asphalt scratches on my elbows that are actually just evidence that I lived a little bit. Than having a scar-free life but a wounded soul. I want Jesus to revive once again in our land a passion to live a little bit dangerous. I think so many times we're, so, we're told to play it safe. We're told to plan for the worst, but to expect the best. We basically worship the God of safety and comfort. We want to go to a safe school so that we can get a good job, so we can make a lot of money, so we can live in a safe neighborhood. We want to put our kids, our kids in a safe environment. We want to have safe marriages. We want to have gated communities. We want to have locked up country clubs. We want, are you, I'm, not, I'm not against safety. But I think if we're not careful, when you worship the God of safety, you will end up living a risk-free life. I think some of you are bored with Jesus because you are living a risk-free life. It was the persecution that forced the believers out of their nest. I think sometimes God doesn't cause, but he allows the stupidity of leaders to force persecution in our faith, 
to actually push us out of our comfort zones. Comfort zones will kill your faith. Comfort zones will lullaby you to sleep. I want to ask you, when was the last time you felt uncomfortable? When was the last time God asked you to do something that you did not want to do? I would say if you have an answer to that question with something recent, I would say you stop playing in God's streets. Because I think when we're really on fire, not just collective revival, but individual, personal awakening, God will lead you in a way that you'll do things you don't want to do. He'll ask, he'll ask you to give money you don't want to give. He'll ask you to share the love of God with people you don't care about. He'll give you a heart for people that you normally would judge. Talk to me today. It's crazy. And if you haven't experienced that, I would say you're probably bored. Because you're in your room on your phone. And you're not learning the joy of playing in the streets. Philip was one of the guys that went out. He preached Christ. I want to just share a simple message today. I think most believers that are bought by the blood of the Lamb, that have access to the Spirit of God, that actually could live a 60, a 70, a 90, a 100-year life, that would make such an impact on eternity, that we wouldn't army crawl into the back door of heaven, but we would soar through the gates, celebrated, hearing the voice of our Father saying, well done, good and faithful servant. I think too many people are nervous about how they're entering into eternity because they wasted their lives in their rooms instead of playing on God's streets. I feel like, listen to me, revival starts in services, it starts in colleges or churches, but it never is intended to stay there. I think if we're not careful, the very thing that caused revival is what can put it out. When we fall more in love with an encounter, more in love with falling or shaking or crying, when we fall in love with the manifestation of revival, more than the source of it. What will happen is, is we'll, we'll live for glory encounters instead of encountering his glory and going into all the earth. Here is the synopsis of the Bible. Go and fill the world with the knowledge of God, the knowledge of his glory. And we stop living to flood the earth with the intimate knowledge of God. Whether you are a businesswoman, whether you're an educator, whether you're a bus driver, I don't care what you do. When you stop living to distribute God's intimate knowledge to the world, something inside of you will go to sleep. Some of you were bored. You got everything you ever wanted, but you're bored. Did everything you ever wanted to do, and you're still empty. Married the girl you fell in love with. Bought the house you looked at as a child that you wish you could live in. Have the car you always had posters of as a child. And yet you're still vacant on the inside when it pertains to enthusiasm. You know where passion is created? Passion is created when we're doing and we're risking for the things that God made us to do and risk. I'll tell you, man, it's scary at times, it's frustrating at times, it's terrifying at times, but the safest place to live your life is in the middle of God's will. Because he'll challenge you, he'll scare you, he'll say, you see that 10-foot guy over there? Go fight him. I'm a homeschooler. I play harps. I, I got a slingshot, but come on now. God's not safe. He's not safe. 
When you live full of the Spirit of God, he'll ask you to do dangerous things. Philip went into a, he went into a city that no one liked. He got called to the city that no one wanted to be called to. They're like, all right, you got to call Samaria. You know the people group that you, you know, the Jewish people are a little bit racist towards? They're half Jews and half not Jews. There's a big racial divide. I want you to go to that city. So he shows up to Samaria. He's like, hey, let me, uh, let me share with you a message about a man. And here's what I want to tell you today. Very, very important in these kind of windows of history when God's pouring out his spirit, when people are coming alive spiritually, and it's happening to the masses. Very important here. We got to view Jesus as the tree. And we gotta view miracles, we gotta view signs, wonders, we gotta view the prophetic, we gotta view words of wisdom, words of knowledge, gifts of healing. Are you hearing me right now? We gotta view, how about this, revival as we would define it. We gotta review all that stuff as fruit that grows on Jesus. What happens to too many believers is they fall in love with the fruit of Jesus. And if you pick the fruit long enough and you disregard the tree, what will happen is eventually is the source of everything you love will die. And that's when you begin to worship the museums and the artifacts of a past move of God in your life. It was when I was in 1969, I was on fire for God. I was 1984, I was on fire for God. It was 2001, I was on fire for God. What happened to the flame? I think sometimes we fall in love with where God moved. We build monuments and museums on past moves of God. My grandpa got saved in a William Branham meeting. He saw a lady that should have died on a stretcher, brought there by an ambulance. Because in those days, they couldn't heal anybody. They couldn't help anybody. People that were terminally ill in Chicago, they were bringing to these miracle meetings. And William Branham, he ended up falling off his rocking chair theologically later in his life. But there was a window of crazy signs, crazy wonders. And my grandpa was there for one of the big ones. He was standing in the crowd. He saw all these people. William Branham was a little guy, five foot three, five foot four. And if you're five foot three or five foot four, don't be mad at me right now. <laughs> William Branham, he actually was giving words of knowledge, was like an x-ray machine kind of like John G. Lake, kind of like A.A. A. Allen, kind of like Smith Wigglesworth. It's funny how so many people wait until you die to celebrate your life. Most of these men weren't celebrated in their windows of history. But my grandpa in that theater, in, the, in, that, in that baseball stadium, he saw this lady that was decrepit and de de her, her extremities were all bent in. She was probably 80 pounds soaking wet. She was green. You could tell that she had moments to live, hours to live at best. And my, my grandpa said, God, if you're real, send that little preacher to heal that woman. If you heal her, I'll serve you the rest of my life. He said about 60 seconds after that prayer, William Branham would get off the stage, walk through the crowd, and grab this woman by the hand off a stretcher, and in front of a full baseball stadium, he would say, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to rise up, and you're going to walk. They witnessed her arm break loose, her other arm break loose, her legs come unfolded. She stood up off the stretcher and began to walk with William Branham. She would begin to jog with William Branham. And he would release her and she would begin to run around the stadium. My grandpa was an Irish immigrant, 100% Irish. He went, into the, he went into the bathroom. He threw away his flask and his, and his pipe. 
went to a church that Sunday, and six months later met my grandma as she came through preaching at that church. My grandma was mentored by Amy Simple McPherson. She was raised on Azusa Street. My, my grandma preached at my youth ministry when I was 21, and she was probably 85. I wanted to save her from the loud music. I said, Grandma, we'll go in after the music. It's loud in there. She looked at me. She said, Honey, I was raised on Azusa Street. We're going in. My grandma was a bad preacher. Bad meaning good. She was fiery. She was tenacious. My grandma and grandpa, they lived in the last great awakenings. God gave us this window. And here's what I want to tell you. We're not going to be so nostalgic of what God did do that we miss out on what God will do. Can I get an amen in Orange County today? What God has done is an indicator of what he's possible of doing in the future, capable of doing in the future. But many people miss it. And I'll tell you why you miss it. Most Christians go to sleep spiritually because somewhere along the way, number one, they stop sharing. Do you know that you were made to share? God wired you to share. That's why when you get that new car, you tell somebody. That's why when you go on that vacation and you, you went to that place, I think it's called the gazebo in Maui. It's, it's located by this, this rinky-dink hotel. It's, you got to wait in line by this little decrepit swimming pool. But it's got the greatest white chocolate chip pacadamia nut pancakes that I've ever had. I don't know if heaven makes pancakes that good. You taste something good enough, you share. You see something good enough, you share. My friend Nate's a pro surfer, was a pro surfer for a lot of years. I saw him yesterday. He was sharing on Instagram these waves. I have no idea because there's waves that break this way and that way. And he said something like, that looks like an East Coast wave. He was sharing something that he knows about. Do you know what all of us do? We share. That is the nature of humanity. We share. But we're raised in a society that says you can share your favorite fruit, you can share your favorite flower, you can share your favorite restaurant, you can share your favorite car, you can share whatever you want to share except your faith. Wow. Or how about you can celebrate if you don't have faith. We'll applaud that. Wow. We'll celebrate if you're really intellectual and you're agnostic. We'll celebrate that. I'll tell you right now, if you want to know who's in charge, find out who you get in trouble for persecuting. It's wild. You can share anything and be applauded. But the moment you share your faith, we're like, no, we have constructs. No separation of church and state. It's like, well, you kind of missed the point there. Government was writing law to keep the government out of the church. But somehow our universities have flipped it upside down and said, no, our founding fathers wanted to keep, they wanted to keep the church out of the state. That's why we came to America, to keep the church out of the state. Out of the state, out of the church. No, I said that wrong. Praise God. You still with me? I think it's interesting today that we're living in a window that people go bored because they stop sharing. Philip came in, very simple. And I want to be very practical today. I think really, really simple. Mark, I don't know the Bible. I, I got poor theology. Do you know that everyone in this room is a theologian? Yeah. Some of you are poor theologians, but everybody's a theologian. A theologian, is th that's the way that you view God. You see an angry God, you're not going to talk to him. You see God that's looking for a reason to punish you, you're going to hide from him. You see a loving God, I heard it said best, you know, religion is you do something wrong and you say, dad's going to kill me. 
A relationship with, with God and Jesus is when you do something wrong and you go, I got to go tell dad. Some of you have a, God's going to kill me if he finds out how bad I'm living. Some of you got to realize today that God, dad loves me so much that I need to go, I need to go get a help. He'll bail me out of this problem. Show. Say with me, show. Philip came in and he shared. And I think that we share, uh, share, 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 share. We'll start, we'll go, not quite to show yet. He shared. And uh, here's the thing I want to tell you, that no one can argue your story. I don't care how educated they are. They could have more degrees than a thermometer. But they can't argue with you what Jesus has done in your life. You could be like the blind guy that got healed, the crippled guy that got healed. All I know is I was blind. Now I see. You can argue theology. You can argue denomination. You can argue this, argue that. All I know is I was in a meeting. I was at an environment. I was prayed for by this person. I was brought to this gathering by this individual. I got prayed for. I had an encounter. I haven't had a panic attack since. I went to the doctor, and there's no cancer in my body. All I know is who I was pre-Jesus, post-Jesus. And I don't have the willpower to change that dramatically by myself. So you can't argue what you share. And all I would encourage you, if you're getting bored in your faith, find some people to share your life with. We had a member of our church, Jeff Garrett, pass away. And I, just, I got to do his memorial yesterday. And he had all of his business professionals there in the room that he, all of his colleagues, they were all crying. And many of the stories that were circulated in that meeting were basically, I didn't know you could have faith in the workplace until I met Jeff. Jeff, he's the CFO of his company, he's a big CEO. And his CFO, the first meeting they had, they met for lunch. And the CFO is up there crying. And he says, my first interaction, we went to lunch. He said, before we even started the meeting, Jeff got the food. He said, can I pray for the food right now? And this CFO goes, I've never seen any leader in business say we're going to pray for the food. Now, that's small, but it was huge. I don't know who you are today, but this guy was crying at this guy's memorial service because he was the first successful business person that gave him permission to bring Jesus into his office. And if I could liberate some of you today, I love Deion Sanders right now, man. He's turning Colorado University into a Christian college. He's in the locker room praying. He's sharing his faith. He's praying in the spirit. I'm like, dude, I don't think you're allowed to do that at university. My friend and I, Pedro, were talking about this the other day. And I said, you know what's crazy? If you're good enough at something, the world will listen. Yes. Yes. Colorado was so tired of losing. They're like, you can bring Jesus. Just, just bring some victories here. I don't care. Tell the players what you want to tell them. We just want to win. And I think there's a generation that's so tired of losing. We got a generation of business multimillionaires that are so suicidal, so depressed, so empty, been married 20 times, divorced 20 times, their kids don't talk to them. We have a generation that is so spiritually bankrupt that they're like, if you show me how to have victory, I'll listen. Share. Hey, can I tell you, the other day, I noticed that you were holding your hand, your wrist, 
And I wanted to tell you that I have had carpal tunnel for like the last 20 years of my life. And I was in this meeting the other day, or I was with a friend the other day, and he prayed for me. And Jesus took all the pain out of it. Can I? And you share. You just share. You sh- what do you share? What God's done for you. Most Christians get bored because they stop sharing what God's done for you. Well, what if you lost something? Share how God gives you grace in the loss. How are you surviving this pain? There is a God that has given me comfort that is out of this world. Say it with me loud. Share. Philip turned the city upside down because he wasn't silent. And I'll tell you, we'll turn Orange County upside down when the Christians of this county start to share. Share what? Share their hope. Share their faith. Share their, their story of what God has done in their life. Number two, you still with me? San Juan, you still with me? Number two, we got to show. This is where I lose most people because they go, Mark, I'm not an evangelist. I'm not good. I'm not a pastor. I would rather um, die than public speak. About 75 of the population would fall into that category. Some of you are here today. My stepdad's in that category. I like to give him a hard time. He hates public speaking. He's scared, scared to death of it. I remember one time he visited our church. His name's Ryan. I said, I said, my parents are here. I was like, hey, Ryan, did you still want to come up and say something? <laughs> God, I'm so good. Anyways, most people are scared to show because they don't know how. But I want to just, if I could give you a very, very practical blueprint here today. When you see something, what I've learned is the voice of God will often speak to us. He'll speak to us in many different ways. Do you know that God speaks today still? Isn't it funny? When we talk to God, it's said that we're praying. But when God talks to us, the world says we're schizophrenic. Kind of funny, right? Praying for you. Praying for you. The whole world. Something bad happens. We're praying for you. But when you tell the world, yeah, God speaks to me, they're like, you hear voices? I hear a voice. Jesus said, my sheep know my. It's not weird to hear his voice. God will give you oftentimes, you'll hear his voice as you read the scriptures. I want to tell you that as human beings, we can either hear uh, God's voice, we can hear our voice, or we can hear the enemy's voice. Sometimes we don't know how to differentiate between those three. Let me give you a couple like little practical things here today. The voice of God will never contradict his word. The voice of God, when someone says, well, God told me to shoot up the place. You heard a voice, friend. But it wasn't Jesus' voice. Because Jesus doesn't still kill and destroy. That's the devil's department. So when he tells you to do something that contradicts his word, you're not honoring his voice. When people take the voice of God, let me, t- let me say this. When they take the word of God out of context, some people will take one verse, manipulate it to their own worldview, and try to manipulate people through taking the word of God out of context. When you take the text out of context, you're left with cons. Some people stop believing God because they get cons that are mixed that are missing text. So we want to show by hearing clearly and saying, God, is this you? Here's a grid. Does it contradict God's word? Does it lead to peace or does it lead to anxiety? I want to remind you that one of the nine gifts of the Spirit is not confusion. If it brings confusion, it's not from God. Fear is not a fruit of the Spirit. Are you hearing me today? Very important. Many of you, you don't know like the voice of God. 
God will ask you to do something scary, but it's weird. Even if it's scary, there'll be peace. Give everything. Like, no, all right. We'll be all right. It's crazy that when he tells you to do crazy things sometimes, he'll give you peace. You hear God's voice, you'll hear your voice, you hear the enemy's voice. We can hear, our voice can hear God, and it can be impacted by the world. That's why it's so important that we hear his voice as we read the Bible. Can I get an amen? We hear his voice through impressions. There's times that I feel impressed. We were in Hawaii a few weeks ago, a few months ago, and there was a guy in the parking garage, and I heard the Holy Spirit saying, this is the word I want you to give this guy, and I want you to give him all the money that's in your pocket right now. And I let off with the money, because that usually opens people up. You'd be shocked at what people let you do to them if you just give them some money. Come on. Can I pray in the Spirit over you right now? Sure. I gave him, I gave him a, a wad of money, and I said, hey, my name's Mark. I said, I'm a, I'm a Christian. God speaks to me. And when I saw you when I parked, God told me to tell you this. And I, and I, I began to just declare. And God gave me a very specific word of this guy that, hey, dude, the last seven years have been like this. And there's like this thing that the enemy tried to steal from your family. And there's like this inheritance in Hawaii and all this stuff. Specific things. You'll be shocked at how prophetic you become when you ask God to show you how much he loves that person. The prophetic. It's not for floaty spiritual people never sinned the prophetic is released by people that say God see that guy over there let me get an impression of how much you love him it's wild God will never give you influence over anybody you don't love but if you'll say I want to love that person the way you love him here's the question to ask God if you could speak to that guy right now what would you say to him and watch how a prophetic utterance will well up in your soul. One of my mentors said, Mark, you don't have to be 100% convinced that it's God. He goes, oftentimes if I get 50%, 60%, 70%, I'm sure that it's God, I'll step out. I'd rather miss it 30% of the time. Come on. I'd rather hit seven out of 10 shots than miss 100% of my shots. We got a show. Okay, you still with me today? I'm almost finished. So we share. Hey, this is what God did for me. And here's, here, here's the big segue. You share. And whatever that impression is, God will give you an impression. He'll give you a thought. He'll give you a feeling. Something that won't normally pop into your head. Here's what I want to teach you today, church. When you're in the presence of God, don't underestimate what you think about. Sometimes you're worshiping in, in Orange County, and you're thinking about an uncle that lives in Arizona. And you think about a health problem randomly. And maybe God's going, that uncle and that health problem are associated. Send him a message saying, God's going to heal you. I think you might have had an issue with this part of your body, but God told me today that he's going to heal you. I remember being in Boise, Idaho. I was worshiping, and all of a sudden, my cousin John popped into my head. They tried to have kids for like 15 years, couldn't get pregnant. And I literally, as I'm worshiping, I saw two little baby boys. After the service, I got my phone. I said, John. This is Mark. Sounds crazy, but um, God wanted me to tell you, I saw this today. I saw you, I saw your wife, and I saw two little baby boys. I think they're your kids. It put hope in his heart. Within 12 months, they had twin boys. I'm not saying they get, 
I'm just telling you, don't underestimate your thoughts when you're in the presence of the king. What do you do when you share? You share and you say, hey, John, this is what God showed me. Hey, coworker, this is what happened in my carpal tunnel. Can I pray for you? So simple. I have found that most people are cool with you praying for them. And here's the good news. If they say absolutely not, blessed are you when people get mad at you, people are angry at you, for Jesus' sake, great is your reward in heaven. So it's a win-win. You either get to bless them and pray for them. What do you pray? Pray what you experienced. Lord, thank you for my friend John, my cousin John. Thank you that I saw these twin boys. I'm asking, if that was you, I could miss it. But if that was you, I pray that by about this time next year, he would have two beautiful baby boys. We know that you can do it and that you would get all the glory for it. In Jesus' name. You know what's wild, church? When you share and you show, miracles will begin to break out. Never seen the miracles because you never said anything. Never seen a miracle because you've never asked anybody to pray for them. When was the last time you prayed for a stranger? When was the last time? Coworker. Yes, yesterday. We got, you're in the second row, okay? God bless you. We have some on-fire Christians in this church, but I'm preaching in the back rows. When was the last time? Revival falls apart when we start getting selfish. Remember, everything that God does on the earth is connected to transforming people. You know, one of the greatest desires of heaven is to transform the earth. One of the greatest agendas of God is to go on earth as it is in heaven. Do you know that God transforms a mind to transform a person, to transform a city, to transform a state, to bring heaven to earth? We don't see that if we don't share. And we'll never see it if we don't show. And the last thing, and I'll, I'll end here, is I believe that we miss out on, on playing in God's streets. When we stop sharing, we don't show by praying for somebody, and we forget about the Spirit of God. I believe it is the Spirit of God that gives us impressions. Say it with me, impressions. God will give you an impression. It's the Spirit of God that will give you a thought or a feeling. Nehemiah said it this way. He didn't tell any of the men around him. It says, what God had put in my heart to do, I didn't tell anybody. I believe that God puts things in our hearts. God will give us thoughts and feelings in his presence. The Spirit of God will give us the prophetic unction, the word of knowledge, the word of wisdom. It is the Spirit of God that gives us dreams and visions. Joel said, in the last days, I'll pour out my spirit on some flesh. Say with me, Orange County, what flesh? He'll pour out on everybody. And when he's poured out, he says, the old men will dream dreams. Your old men will have visions. Young men will have visions. And he says this, dreams and visions are a byproduct of an encounter with the Spirit of God. I believe we have angelic visitations. God will speak to us through his Spirit, through life circumstances. It is wild what happens when the Spirit of God is released in our lives. Here's my question today. If they had everything they needed by hearing the message of Jesus... If they had everything they needed by seeing miracles, if they had everything they needed because they were full of joy, why did they send Peter and John? My argument is, you can go to heaven 
without ever being baptized by the Spirit of God. But I would say you're missing out on a major part, one-third to be exact, of what Jesus died to give humanity. It is the Spirit of God that gives us the appetite of Jesus. It is the Spirit of God that gives us the power to minister as Jesus minister. It is the Spirit of God that gives us dreams and visions and weaponizes our calling for eternity. You're here today. You say, Mark, I've heard of the Spirit, but I've never experienced Him. I'm going to pray for you today. Say it with me. Share, show, Spirit of God. I believe when we start honoring these things, we will start playing in God's streets. I love what great John Wimber used to say. He said, everybody gets to play. Churches get boring when the only people that are playing are the pastors. Churches get boring when the only people that are seeing miracles are the ones that have some sort of evangelist or prophet or teacher or apostle in front of their names. Everybody gets to play. If you believe it today, come on, give an amen. Come on, San Juan, give God a hand clap today. If you believe, everyone can participate. So here's my ask today. Won't you stand to your feet all over this place, all over San Juan? Can I ask you an honest question as we close? How many today say, Mark, I feel like God is asking me to take the fire that I'm experiencing in this church and in my faith and to start sharing it? I feel like God is asking me to start opening up my mouth and sharing the good things that he's doing in my life. Would you lift your hands up? I'm going to start sharing. This thing's going to break out because I'm going to share. Revival will reveal two fears. The fear of God or the fear of man. And the one thing you will discover is you can't fear both. You're going to honor one and dishonor the other. Or you're going to dishonor one and you're going to honor the other. At Ocean's Church, we're going to go with the fear of God. I'd rather lose some friends on Facebook. I'd rather lose some followers on Instagram sharing the truth than pleasing everybody and not telling people the way, the truth, and the life. Y'all ready to go? How many feel like, God, if, if I share, show me how to, how to show them. Show me how to pray for people in a very normal, fluid way. Would you pop your hand up? I want to not just share my faith. Here's the, here's the cue. Share it and then go, hey, how can I pray for you? Do you know that I end every meeting I have with somebody? Every meeting. I'll say, hey, man, a last thing real quick. How can I be praying for you? You'll be shocked. Mother Teresa said, if you'll treat everyone like they're hurting, you'll be right about 80% of the time. How can I be praying for you? How many say, Mark, I'm going to start praying. I'm going to ask that simple question. How can I pray for you? And here's what we're going to do. We're not going to be North American Christians that say, okay, I'll be praying for you. And it falls out of your head the moment you leave. We go, okay, let's pray right now. Really? At Starbucks? Oh, yeah. Everybody's staring at you. You're one of those weird Christians? Absolutely. I hear from God. And you watch how Orange County lights up. You watch how the nations of the world want to come to your city. Because God would do something here that the rest of the nations would long for. Jesus is the desire of the nations. Did you know that? Where's my showers? Where's my sharers? And where's those today? You put your hands down one last time. Where's those that say, Mark, I want everything that Jesus died to give me. 
I haven't encountered the Spirit, maybe. Maybe you got filled a long time ago, but you want to get refilled. Maybe you've never experienced the baptism of the Spirit with praying in a heavenly language. Contrary to that pastor that says God doesn't speak anymore. By the way, the, the next time a pastor tells you that God doesn't speak to, to, any, to anybody anymore, ask him this question. Who called you into ministry then? Food for thought. Every author in the New Testament spoke in tongues. Every author. Gonna get quiet in Orange County. We love God the Father, God the Son, God the Scriptures. It's the Spirit of God. And sometimes he's the most, he's the most outcasted because the devil knows if you get scared of the Spirit of God, you'll live without the power of God. Not going to happen at Ocean's Church. You speak in tongues? Absolutely. What about a Hyundai? Should have bought a Kia. I believe that God will speak to you. It's weird. No, it's, it's weird when you, it's weird when you babble in a bar. That's weird. It's weird when you throw up all night at the toilet because you're drunk. You think I'm weird because I'm connecting with God in a heavenly language? Check yourself. Yeah. Check it. You're snorting white lines of cocaine? I'm having a prayer room with, a, with the throne of God. I would rather speak in tongues than be throwing up in some bar, sleeping with some stranger. Yeah. I, are you hearing me today, church? And I just want to get some boldness back in God's people that we're not scared or shy. Sam Smith's worshiping the devil on TV. I'm speaking in tongues in church. I'll speak in tongues at a coffee shop. Any courage coming to these tents? Ronald Reagan said it best. He said, man, he says, when, when bold men and bold women are courageous, it'll strengthen the spine of all the weak. Orange County, this is our hour. It's our time to share. It's our time to show. And it's our time to honor the Spirit of God. Are you ready to go? If you raise your hand in any of those three areas, lift your hands real high. San Juan, big. Say this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I ask you today to fill me with every ounce of your Spirit. I want to know you. I want to walk with you. I want to share you. I want to show the world that I serve the living God. I repeat, I want to show the world that I know the living God. Give me courage. Give me boldness. Give me strength. I pray as I share, as I pray, that you would show up. Miracles break out. People get set free. Lame would walk. Blind would see, deaf would hear, in Jesus Christ's name. Now watch this. If you're here today and you need a physical healing in your body, we're almost done. Two things. I want you to lift your hands right now. I have a physical need. You're addicted to, I don't care if it's a drug or you have a, you have a thyroid issue. Your pancreas might not be working. Maybe you're here today, you have, a, you have a gallbladder condition. Maybe you need a kidney transplant. Maybe your eye and your left eye is blind. We serve a God that heals. If you have a physical need, you're addicted to something, you need a spiritual need, lift your hands, we're out of time. That's me, I have a need, I would love to get prayer. I have a need, I would love to get prayer. That's you, raise your hand right now. Doesn't make you weird, makes you honest. Hands up all over, oceans, you know the drill. 
Find somebody next to you. Put, put your hand on them. We're going to pray the kingdom of God right now to fill their body. You ready? Hands on them. You ready? Pray this prayer, Ocean. Say, in Jesus' name, we declare top of their head, soles of their feet. Spirit of God, heal, restore, refresh, deliver, fill them with the Spirit of God. Let your fire fall right now. In Jesus' name. You watch. Just test it out right now. Test it out right now. You feel it in your hands. Feel it in your hips. I pray right now you would do something that God doctors will be amazed at. Family members would scratch their heads. Do a work in our days that we would not believe even if it were told to us. In Jesus' mighty name. Now listen, some of you felt it. Some of you didn't. Some, some felt like electricity in your body. Here's my declaration. You watch over the next 24 hours how God would heal. Some of you, it happened right now. And others, it'll be as you walk with God, you fully recover. In Jesus' name. Last thing we do, Oceans, today, if you're here, you're not living with Jesus and for Jesus, everybody here, don't, don't leave yet, please stay. We're almost finished. If you're here and you're not walking with Jesus, for Jesus. Last big statement of the day. Jesus didn't die for converts. He died to make disciples. And Ocean's Church is not going to be a crowd of convert believers. We're going to be a church full of disciples. Converts are in the crowd. Disciples lead the crowd. That's what we're going to do at Ocean's Church. You ready to go? All over the tent city. Say, Mark. I'm not living with him or for him. Maybe you're atheist, agnostic. Maybe you walked away from God. Maybe you gave up your faith. Today, someone lost their faith in college. Today, God says, I'm igniting a fresh relationship, a fresh flame in you. If that's you, every eye closed, every head bowed, you say, Mark, I want to give my heart to Jesus. I want to start a new journey with God. First time decision or a rededication? Every eye closed, every head bowed, that's you. I want you to raise your hand on the count of three all over these tents, that's me. One, hands are already going up, I love it. Two, I'm getting right with Jesus here today. Three, real high, that's me, thank you. That's me, that's me, real high, real high, thank you. I see that hand, real high, thank you. Thank you, real high, real high, I'm getting right with God. Real, getting right with God. I see three hands, anybody else? Four hands, anybody else? Four hands, five hands, anybody else? So good, so good, so come on, give those five people a hand clap today. San Juan, raise your hands, and that's you. We had 12 people at the movie theater get saved. We had eight people at a memorial service yesterday get saved. God's reviving everybody. If you're one of those five today, maybe you're in San Juan, lift your hand, pray this prayer as we close. Say, Jesus, I invite you to be the Lord, leader, Savior of my life. I invite you to heal me, forgive me, and to fill me with your wonderful Holy Spirit. Plant me in a healthy church. Give me friends that love you, know you better than I do, and give me an appetite for the Word of God. In Jesus' name, I'm going to share, I'm going to show, and I'm going to live with the Spirit of God. If you're ready for Revival Orange County, give me a hand clap today.